When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Florida State wins a thriller, Clemson is not very good, Texas welcomes the Crimson Tide, and so much more on the week two preview of the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's Nose and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. Guys, we didn't have to wait very long for college football to return after the first five days in a row of week one, week two quickly follows and I'm so excited. We've got a lot to do in this episode. Off the bat, I certainly want to get y'all's reaction to this FSU LSU game. An absolute thriller. Trey, we watched this game uh together while we were weathering a massive storm over here in Dallas. That game was bananas. When I say Mitch and I screamed when that blocked extra point happened to end regulation. <laughs> We screamed. We we woke, we, were, up the neighbors. we woke up the neighbors. We were giddy with excitement. Just how that game played out. Just classic week one craziness. Bananas on the bayou. I don't know what else you want to call it. That that you couldn't pick a worse situation for Brian Kelly to open up his LSU tenure. And how about Mike Norvell getting a huge signature win that he desperately needed. Yeah, it was it was a wild scene there with FSU winning. You know, not enough people are talking about the fact that Florida State had the ball on the goal line to ice that game away, and they ran a pitch play that results in a fumble. LSU then goes 99 yards. I mean, as as much as I wanted to hope and believe and and beg and pray that FSU was going to win this and that Mike Norvell is turning the battleship around in Tallahassee, that moment made me want to throw it all right out the window. The lack of awareness to call a pitch play on the goal line, like they got what they deserve there. I'm glad that they ended up winning because I tell you what, LSU might be one of the most dysfunctional football teams as a whole. Trey, you mentioned this as we were watching that game, the body language from the LSU players and coaching staff. I mean, Brian Kelly looked miserable. Watching that game, I can't imagine what it's like to be a Tigers fan right now, realizing, holy cow, we've got 11 more games of this. I mean, Kayshawn Boutte, who, by the way, nobody could figure out how to pronounce his name on the broadcast, he was throwing fits on and off the field because he wasn't getting the ball. Garrett, I, I don't know I don't know where LSU goes from here. I mean, that is it's it's one thing to lose basically at a home game, right? Played in New Orleans. It's another thing 
to go through that roller coaster of emotions and still come up short like they did. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about the body language. Look, it doesn't seem like he got the culture together. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the shot of the kicker where you can see the LSU sideline when it gets blocked, and there's that one guy that just looks like he drops dead. He just falls over. Yeah, yeah. it was just such a bizarre video. But I mean, but that's kind of where they seem to be in their headspace, right? It just seems so defeated at the end. Um, and, and look, I mean, I don't think that it's you know sky is falling for LSU. But they're going to have to get some stuff right in the locker room or else this is the kind of loss that can compound and ruin the season before it even gets started. And for Florida State, you're absolutely right, Mitch. With that, When they fumbled on the goal line, it looked like, ah, here we go again. But this could be the type of win, pulling that out when everyone thought that you know this was just going to be another Mike Norvell Florida State botch job. Pulling that out and showing that you can close out against an SEC team in a hostile environment. I will say there were more Florida State fans there than I ever expected. Sure. Oh, yeah. Shout out to shout out to the folks from Tallahassee for making that trip and making it a little bit more even. But man, maybe that's a launching pad game. Maybe that's something that shows us that Florida State is really ready to finally be back into maybe not a contender for the conference crown, but at least interesting and at least not interesting in a bad way where we're just laughing at how bad they are. Jordan Travis looked like a dude, your guy on the defensive side of the ball, Mitch, the Albany transfer. Jared verse looked amazing. So I'm excited to watch Florida state the rest of this year. Yeah. Trey kept calling out every time he made a play. There's your guy. There's Jared verse. And I could just fist pump. So 2022 darling, I, I've got him. I, I, I see good things for this program. I it's, it's been tough. By the way, recruiting's still not going well for Florida State. They might lose their best offensive lineman uh, who's committed right now. I believe he's a top 75 tackle. He's now getting crystal balled to flip to Florida. So, you know, baby steps. But did like what I saw from Florida State. LSU, the special team's woes got them. They had two muffed punts. Uh, the blocked field goal, the extra point at the end, obviously was just kind of the, the icing on the cake. And uh, a tough, tough week one. For LSU, we'll get into Clemson. I maybe, maybe it was a little too harsh on Clemson. We'll discuss in just a second. But first, want to handle the housekeeping? Of course, if you are not already following us over on our social media at Three Tech Pod, please head over and do so. We're getting new followers every single day. I saw Jim Weber just followed us actually, so getting some uh, some nice recognition from some of the biggest writers and editors around the country. Of course, if you are a loyal follower, follower, loyal subscriber, thank you for being here. Thank you for all the support. If you're not already subscribed, please hit that button on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We are all over the place. And uh, tell a friend, as Trey was so fond of of uh, reminding us, uh, just continue to spread the word. Help us grow this family. It's it's really, uh, really a, a pleasure and a labor of love that we get to do this. So housekeeping out of the way, gentlemen, Clemson, I wrote one of the least impressive covers of all time. They were 22-point favorites when we picked that game. Georgia Tech hung around, but I couldn't really tell early if it was the Yellow Jackets with a little bit of spunk or if it was Clemson that just wasn't all that sharp. DJU struggled early, Garrett. Yeah, no, things came out the gate real slow for Clemson. And I was going through my night, going to catch that game a little bit later, and then when I flipped on the score, I was like, oh, no one scored yet? I, I almost couldn't believe that nobody had punched it in. I didn't expect this to be a particularly close game, and 
you know, Georgia Tech kind of hung around and you know, they kind of did their thing. That quarterback was impressive. I think eight, the wide receiver, he looked pretty good as well. Just he caught almost anything, was making plays out there. So um, hats off to Georgia Tech for keeping it closer. But, um, man, it just really did not seem like Clemson was ready to go in this one. They, they did, you know, figure stuff out. I wonder if they're the type of team that can afford to come out flat against better competition and still find a way to dominate down the stretch like they ended up doing in the second half. Tell you what, Cade Klubnick, he's coming for that starting job. And I tweeted this out. I said, I do not say this lightly, but you look at what Klubnick brings to the field as opposed to what DJU does, and Cade is moving at a different speed. He processes the game faster. He's more athletic. He is sharper with his throws. Trey, we talked about it a long time ago, and and we framed it in if Clemson comes out and drops a couple of eggs early, you could see a quarterback change by week four. I don't even know that they have to drop a game. I think it literally could be a Trevor Lawrence over Kelly Bryant situation a la 2018 where, hey, Clemson's still winning games, but if you want to win a national championship, if you want to compete for the with the big boys – you got to go with your playmaker, and that's Cade Clubbing. There's there's no doubt about that. DJU, nothing against him. He's not the best quarterback in that room right now, even though Cade is just a true freshman. All right, so those are the two games that we hadn't gotten to from week one. Again, what a just delightful week one it was. Trey, if you will hit that breaking news sound, we've got to go over the AP poll release today. Certainly not going to go over every single one of these teams, but I do have a couple of notes. First and foremost, knee-jerk reaction. Florida went from unranked to the 12th best team in the country. That seems... Look, they were good. They were good against Utah. I I didn't think they were that good. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's overreaction express right there. Classic week one bump up the polls. We've seen a local team get that favorability after a big week one win before, and it didn't work out so well. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that they'll end the year at 12 by any means. And it didn't seem like it was a ranking that was based on watching the game. And that's no offense to Florida. They did a good job with that win, but I mean, their offense was almost one dimensional. You know, we, we talked about this in the breakdown, but they didn't look particularly great doing this. It was just that Utah came out and seemed to flub it as well. So um, I don't know if I would call them the 12th best team. Do they deserve to be ranked? I think so. But, you know, it, it's almost like you see these teams that a lot of times they'll, they'll go from being unranked to a 22-23. That felt reasonable for me. But when I saw them come out of 12th, I had to stop and make sure I wasn't reading a different sports poll. Yeah, they just felt so it, – it felt so shoehorned in there. Like top 20, sure. I, I don't mind them jumping you know, several spots, but all the way up to 12th felt – Felt like a bit much. Notre Dame slides to eighth. I feel like that might be a disservice to Notre Dame. Look, they played a very solid ball game. They're just in a different, they're in a different league right now than what Ohio State is, and that's that's to be understood. But they played the second ranked team, now the third ranked team in the country. You know, as close as I think we all expected them to, or at least you guys did. You picked Notre Dame to cover that that spread. So them sliding to eighth, I felt like it's semantics, but maybe they dropped a, a little too far. Clemson is still fifth after kind of laying an egg against Georgia Tech. I don't, I don't totally get that. And now Michigan is up to fourth. Uh, in, any, any observations there on on the top ten? I think you know it's interesting that Michigan jumped all the way up to number four. 
not undeserved. They definitely looked really, really good in all phases of the game against an overmatched. I think it was Colorado State that they played this past week, but I want to see them commit to a quarterback before I buy all in. And obviously they're, I think they're 50 point favorites this week against Hawaii. So we're not going to learn a ton about them. Also a really weak non-conference schedule for the Wolverines. So number four is probably not too far off. I don't know that I would have moved them that far up right off the bat, but yeah, I don't really have a ton of problems. Also shout out USC for creeping up into the top 10 and making an appearance there going into week two. Yeah, Michigan, yeah, sure. Michigan's athletic schedule, uh, whoever makes that doubles as a run in a bakery because it's a cupcake fest in the non-conference schedule for Michigan. There's there's zero doubt about that. Uh, before we move on here to our headliners, shout out Grant for winning our week one version of the spread option, picking seven of the 10 games correctly. Um, if you would like to get in on the action and you have not already played, head over to our Twitter account, 3TechPod. I've tweeted that out. The link to the Google form is right there. Just enter in your email and then pick your 10 games against the spread. We don't sell your email. We don't disseminate it. It's just uh, basically so we know who's playing the game and uh, who ultimately to contact if you win. Because at the end of the season, we're giving away a mini helmet of your choice to the season-long winner. Guys, without any further ado... It's time to get into headliners. Trey, you are currently, after one week, sitting atop that uh, throne, 7-2-1 and one last week. Garrett and I went 5-4-1. and one. So, Trey, I'll let you lead off here with number one, Alabama, going to Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns, the Crimson Tide, as of recording, 20-point favorites on the road. It's Saturday on Fox at 11 a.m., the big noon kickoff game of the week. What do you expect? From the Texas Longhorns. First of all, stop the count. Stop the count after week one. We don't need to <laughs> take anything else into consideration. But uh, no, I mean, this is a big game for Texas. I There's just so much leaning Alabama's way. It's a 20-point spread. We saw last week you could have been bitten by that big line if you took Ohio State to cover it, but you could have definitely bought into the hype on Georgia and had it paid out for you on a big line just like this. I don't know that it's going to be exactly like Georgia and Oregon. I think Texas will put up a little bit more of a fight at home. But, man, it's really, really hard for me to not pick Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. You just think about all that talent that's going to be on the field, especially offensively for Bama. Will Anderson going up against an offensive line that's still trying to figure it out for Texas. Quinn Ewers getting his first taste of an actual defense. No shade to the ULM Warhawks, but... I think it's going to be a little bit of a step up in competition this week. So give me Bama minus 20. I'm also really concerned at how it seems like Steve Sarkeesian is taking this game. He was quoted in the media this week as saying, my goal is to be in Dallas on December 3rd, and this game doesn't affect that. That sounds like someone that That's might weird. not like his chances. So if you're already in that mentality, even inside the locker room and even saying that to the media, I just... I'm not going to pick you to cover a spread. Yeah, that's a weird thing to say game week. You know, you'd think you'd at least game week want to start talking about how, you know, hey, we like what we have. We have a good game plan, you know, and we, we feel confident. Uh, look, for me, I look at this game and Texas looked fine last week. There wasn't anything I saw that was necessarily wrong. But I also didn't see anything that told me, yeah, they're ready to compete with Bama, right? The, they had some pedestrian numbers across the board. There were some good performances, surely, but 
the wide receivers didn't exactly explode for any huge numbers. The tight ends looked good. Um, Quinn looked fine. There, there wasn't necessarily anything wrong with his performance, but it, it seems like, you know, they, they had some more left in the tank and maybe they were trying to play it safe. But because I didn't see anything, I'm not ready to say that they're going to be able to compete with Bama. Do they have the talent to keep up with Bama? Sure. They, they could take them for four quarters and, and, you know, maybe get them on an 11 a.m. kick. You know, Bama maybe comes out not 100% ready, maybe sleeping a little bit on the 11 a.m. But all things considered, with the hype that this game's going to get, I think both teams are going to come out ready. That doesn't tend to go well for teams that play Bama. So I'm going to take Bama to cover, and I think they're going to keep things rolling on this revenge tour they're on. I went into week one thinking that Texas could could compete in some form or fashion. Now, I'm not going to say a negative thing about Texas here. They played ULM. They got off to a little bit of a slow start. You know, Quinn Ewers throws his pick on, on what, the second pass of the game. Um, but I, I don't think you saw anything from Texas, one way or the other, that that gives you a reason to believe, no, they won't compete here. For me, it's what I saw from Alabama. And it's it's the Nick Saban revenge tour. I mean, that's what I've been, I've been talking about that this whole season. Saban is ticked. And he was all offseason. He spent the entire summer months talking basically about how upset he was, you know, quote unquote, um, at how recruiting has been going and how his team was was slighted, what have you. It's all rat poison, right? This is how Nick Saban motivates his guys. So I'm not going to be shocked if Texas comes out early and rises to the occasion. We've seen Texas do that over the last couple of years. They rise to their competition. They also play down to their competition, at least in conference play. So I won't be surprised at all if Texas looks sharp. The X factor here will be Quinn Ewers. Can Quinn find holes against this Alabama defense? How is he going to do against this Alabama pass rush, first and foremost? And what kind of balance do they have from an offensive standpoint? I think Bama is pretty much going to be able to get whatever they want offensively. So the only shot that Texas has is to turn this into a shootout. If there's somehow a backdoor cover for the Longhorns, it wouldn't shock me. Um, I'm certainly not predicting that to happen. But you know, if you told me that at the last second Texas scores a touchdown, they lose by 17 or even you know 20 to lose on the number, I don't think it would shock me. So that's that's the case for the Longhorns on the Bama side. Bryce Young didn't break a sweat, shutting out you know scoring 55 against a conference champion last year in Utah State. Bama's got the talent advantage. They're locked, they're loaded, they're ready to go, and there's a reason why they're my national champion pick. So yeah, I'll take Bama uh, minus the number there. Second game on our headliners, also at least a team from the Lone Star State, number nine, Baylor, on the road going to altitude. They'll take on the number 22, BYU Cougars. BYU getting three and the hook Saturday night on ESPN at 9.15 p.m. It's a weird kick for Baylor, at least from their body clock. Trey, I know you're a little bit high on Jaron Hall and the BYU Cougars. You were obviously right about them last week. You made the point that you picked the right team from the state of Utah. I will once again let you lead this off. Yeah, I picked the team from Utah that went to Florida and covered handily. So, look, BYU... This is the week that I think they strut onto the scene as a dark horse playoff contender. Jaron Hall is going to be the best QB, maybe even the best player on the field in this game. I know Baylor won the game last year. That was a whole quarterback ago. And guess what? BYU just beat that quarterback last week. So 
I'm excited to see BYU kind of have a coming out party. I think it's a weird body clock situation. Like you said, Mitch, it's not a situation where Baylor can go super early and get adjusted to the altitude and to that body clock situation. I'm sure they'll have their ways to figure that out, but yeah, I just think the environment's going to be ready to go. It's BYU's home opener. That's a great atmosphere up there in Provo. So give me the Cougs to win the game by about a touchdown. Yeah, I'm going to take the Cougs as well. Um, they get the minus three and a half. I'll take that. Uh, look, I need a team to root for from Utah. So um, looking at you, BYU. No, this is probably going to be one of the better games of the week. I think it's going to be fun. Cougar fans are going to come out crazy. Um, but I'm going to take the home field advantage in this case. Shapen, you know, not a real amount of experience so far. It looked fine last week. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm going to take him to maybe take a bit of a drop-off, make a couple mistakes in a hostile environment in his first real road test. So, uh, yeah, give me the Cougs. Blake Shapen and the Baylor offense looked really good last week. They so did. I, I do think that Baylor can find a way to compete offensively. They've got Jeff Grimes. It's the Jeff Grimes Bowl, right? 2.0. Baylor won this in Waco a season ago. So, uh, honestly, I think the offensive edge goes to the Baylor Bears, but... A late kick at altitude, scrappy, physical, veteran BYU team. I I do lean towards the Cougars winning this. I will say thanks to the hook when I wrote up our preview, I'm going to take the Bears just because that feels safer to me. I get two of the three outcomes with that. And so I'm I'm pretty comfortable selecting the Bears. I know it's going to be a hostile environment on the road. Very fair. And if BYU runs away with this and wins by two scores, hey, you know, right back at him in week three. But I really do like what Baylor brought to the table offensively, albeit against you, Albany. Um, but I'm going to say in a shootout, Baylor keeps it close at the very least. So give me the Bears plus three and a half there. Final headliner before we get to uh, games around the slate. And we're going back to the Southeastern Conference, number 20, Kentucky. At number 12, Florida, newly crowned number 12, Florida, the Gators are four and a half point favorites in the Swamp Saturday ESPN, 6 p.m. kick. Garrett, this is this is a confusing line to me. This feels like a massive overreaction to a very close win against a very good Utah team. But as we talked about in the recap, a game that easily could have been a Utah win. Yeah, no, I, this certainly could have been a Utah win. I'm actually going to take Florida here. I'm going to take them minus the four and a half. Um, look, I w- I've been on record now a couple times, not super impressed with the way they came out week one on offense, but they bodied up on defense, which is a good point. And I, I think that if they can just get some marginal improvement, just a little bit of improvement in the pass game, find a way to throw for 200 yards, right? Find a way to get a touchdown or two through the air, something like that. They get a little bit of marginal improvement. I think this team looks a lot better in week two. Um, Kentucky's going to field a better defense than what Utah did. But all that being said, I still think Florida wins this game. Now, if Kentucky shuts down the run lanes, this could be a really long day for the Gators having to kind of rely on the arm of Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I am going the opposite way here. Kentucky is my lucky dog of the week. I I see this line as 100% an overreaction to week one. And usually when this line would it goes completely in the opposite direction of what I would think, I lean into that a little bit and say, you know, what does Vegas know? What are they picking up in this game that maybe the general public or the casuals aren't seeing? But 
And Kentucky's just the better team. And four and a half is a really weird number, um, especially to uh, even if Florida comes out on top in this game, I don't see it as being a wide margin of victory. So give me the four and a half points. I don't know. Will Levis, it wasn't a pretty showing against Miami of, of Ohio no. last week. Not a lot of people were watching that game. I totally understand that. But they did pull away late. And they start to look a little bit like the Kentucky of old. I'll tell you what, if Florida hasn't shored up that run defense that Utah just started to gash at the end of that game, Kentucky is going to run for 300 yards and it's not going to be close. Well, so that's actually my biggest question going in because you look back at the box score from their week one game against Miami of Ohio, Cavassier smoke led Kentucky rushing, but only with 36 yards. So Kentucky did not run the football well against the Red Hawks. Will Levis, look, he threw a bad pick on the goal line, I think in the first half. Otherwise, threw for 300 yards, three other scores. So Kentucky through the air looked very good. And that's something that Florida didn't face, I think, in the same manner that they're going to face this week against Kentucky. Plus, if you do get that running game going, Florida's defense is the worst thing in this matchup, right? Give me their offense plus both sides of the ball for Kentucky above what the Gators will trot out there defensively. Honestly, if this turns into a shootout, I don't see how the Gators keep up. We, we've talked about it. The Gators only move the football consistently on the ground. Now, not to take away from what Anthony Richardson did on third down. He was very good in that game against Utah. He did seem to deliver when he needed to through the air. But if you're talking that Will Levis is going to air it out and you're going to have to just scramble to keep up, I do think Kentucky, even going on the road, has the advantage here. So maybe a letdown spot for the Gators. They're coming off of an enormous high. They're being celebrated by everybody in the country right now outside of the state of Utah. It's hard to ignore that number 12 that's suddenly by your, your team name in the rankings. So four and a half for Kentucky, the team that I think is the better team. I'd rather personally be late to the party on Florida then flip-flop and overreact like it seems like the rest of the media is right now. Yeah, and I think with Kentucky, they have some offensive line turnover, and maybe they're trying to iron that out week one. Maybe they're trying to get Will Levis to put some other stuff on tape other than just, we're going to run it right at you. I don't know. There's so many different things that could explain away that week one. Give me the confidence that that's who Kentucky is, and that's who they have been for the past five years. And they're going to be a ground and pound team that can make you pay if you're not ready to stop the run. Also, Kentucky's more talented on paper than Utah as well. They have had much more recruiting success. They have much more access to talent. Stoops is an amazing coach. Give me Kentucky on the road. One thing I will say before I move on from this, Florida on campus, it's going to be electric. You can't discount that in this game, right? You can't discount how that fan base is going to react. Look, big emotional win, right? Lots of, you know, energy around that. You get to come back out, play a guy that's in your division. I think that's something that they'll get up for. So I think that they'll be pretty electric. I think that that crowd's going to be back again. It seemed to impact the Utes. I think it'll probably end up impacting Kentucky as well. Well, but Kentucky is used to this at least, right? Utah, you know, maybe gets it at BYU or every once in a while in the Pac-12, but this is an every week thing for Kentucky. It's still a great environment. Oh, absolutely. But they, they go there every other year. So it's not like, you know, the it's swamp is something 
they're not prepared for. Yeah, but this is a lot of hope for the Swamp, whereas in previous years, maybe not as much. And even with that 2020 year, it was still COVID, so reduced attendance. Sure. It is, yeah. a, it is a lot of air back in the balloon after what was, I mean, an embarrassing into 2021. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch this. It should be a fun game. Um, we'll be probably, I guess, leaving College Station right as this game is getting ready to kick. So if you're playing along at home, all three of us taking the Crimson Tide, minus 20. Uh, Garrett and Trey are on BYU, minus three in the hook. I'll take the Baylor Bears. And then we've got uh, two of us, Trey and myself, are on Kentucky. Garrett is on the Florida Gators. Other big games of note, and we'll start with the game in College Station, number six, Texas A&M. Uh, they are favored by 17 right now in some places. Since I wrote our preview, I've seen it bet up to 19 points already, hosting the Appalachian State crew who gave up 63 to UNC last week. That game, Saturday, ESPN 2 at 2.30 p.m. It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid and sticky in College Station. Guys, the Aggies were slow out of the gate, no doubt about it, in the opener against Sam Houston State. Uh, QB1 is Haynes King. He struggled a little bit. Uh, it seemed like he was hell-bent on throwing the football down the field, which gives a lot of encouragement to Aggie fans who have not seen that over the last couple of years. But also, he missed some easy, and I say easy, as an armchair quarterback, reads underneath. Um, the offensive line did not look very sharp for Texas A&M. The Maroon Goons, it's been a strength of theirs for, for a, a, the last couple of years. Under first-year uh, first offensive line coach for A&M, Steve Adazio, they look confused, and Jimbo Fisher admitted that in the post-game press conference. The stunts, the twists that the Bearcats ran, it, it confused some of these young offensive linemen, and it buried the run game. The Aggies did not run the ball well in the first half, and Haynes King had some pressure early on. I will say, though, AM responded well in the second half. They made those adjustments, and the offensive line eventually produced something that allowed Haynes to throw for well over 300 yards uh, in, in the running game to get going. So my thoughts on this, the the worst unit on the field will be Appalachian State's defense. And that is a huge advantage that the Aggies have, considering that they're going to have a top five, maybe 10 defense from what it looks like on paper right now. I think the lack of defensive continuity, at least what we saw last week against a UNC team that was missing their top wide receiver and Josh Downs, I think that's really concerning for App State. It did not matter how the Tar Heels wanted to move the ball. Through the air, on the ground, the Nears could not stop them. So I, I think that number is, is very, very curious to, to see that AM struggled offensively, and yet they're such a big favorite at 17 where we've got it. Can the Aggies pull away on a hot day in College Station? That's my question. And so I'm going to I'm going to err on the side of caution. I think AM wins this comfortably, perhaps a backdoor cover for App State, but AM, not the best team historically at covering these bigger spreads. So I'm going to take Appalachian State in a non-competitive backdoor cover plus the 17. I'm going to take AM, and I think it's because that offensive line and that run game is just so atypical of what we usually see from a Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M team that I'm willing to write that off as week one, especially when they're missing two starters. You know, Bryce Foster, the starting center, who was a freshman All-American, was out. We don't know if he's going to be back just yet, but Layden Robinson, their 
best guard, maybe their best overall offensive lineman was also being rotated in and out throughout that game, dealing with some injuries as well. I think that O-line continuity starts to become more cohesive this week against Appalachian State. The defensive front that they face this week against Appalachian State might be a slight step down from Sam Houston if we're just going off of what we saw with our own eyes last week. So I don't know. I don't think A&M is necessarily with the depth that they have on defense. I'm not going to say they're backdoor cover proof, but it's going to be really difficult to get a backdoor cover on this A&M team with a garbage time touchdown because they have a lot of guys that are fighting for playing time that are really, really talented. Young and inexperienced, but really, really talented. So I'll take A&M to cover. Haynes King has to take care of the football. That's If you're an A&M fan, I don't think you need to worry a whole bunch about losing this game at home against Appalachian State, but what you want to see going into Miami next week is Haynes King take care of the football, look really good, and maybe up that running game a little bit just to get you more confident. Yeah, the offensive struggles for the Aggies, as you guys already mentioned, it pretty much boiled down to a lack of run game, which kind of stemmed from the offensive line. Um, If you see any amount of improvement there, this offense is going to be able to do whatever it wants to do. Whoever they want to get the numbers, whoever they want to share the touchdowns amongst, you know, they're going to be able to do what they want to do. A couple of those things also did kind of get fixed in the second half when they made a couple personnel changes on that left side. So I'm curious to see if that continues. Uh, Look, App State's going to have plenty of success on offense, I think, but the Aggie defense pitched a shutout last week without running any stunts or any blitzes. I think they get a little bit more creative and find a way to tamp down some early success from App State. Give me AM to cover the 17 points. I think it'll be somewhat comfortable. I, I don't feel great about taking App State. I think it's probably a trap that Vegas is setting because that number is so high. Early on, I thought the money was going to pour in on App State uh, as, as people tried to grab that 17 number. It's actually gone the other way. So if you are thinking about backing the Nears, which again, not financial advice, uh, just just for fun, but you might get a heck of a value as that number continues to go up. So I honestly, I don't feel great about App State plus 17, but like I said, it's it's early. Teams are still ironing out mistakes. That offense did put up 40 against UNC last week in the fourth quarter. Not saying that they're going to do anything close to that against the Aggies, but backdoor cover I think is is certainly in play yeah I think we're also kind of overlooking the letdown element for App State too because that was just a huge situation at home in-state rivalry game opportunity to beat the big brother school in the state and they're college kids they have to be just a little bit deflated and they run out to 102,000 people this week it's it's going to be hard to keep your mind right Boys, let's go west out to Lubbock to Raiderland. Number 25, Houston at Texas Tech. Three-point favorites are the Red Raiders. Saturday afternoon, FS1 at 3 p.m. Guys, I'll be honest. I don't know why Tech is the favorite here necessarily. They looked really good against Murray State last week, but Houston started slow against UTSA. There's no doubt about it. Clayton Toon had to claw back in a triple overtime win over the Roadrunners. Still... Tech is the unproven commodity here. Uh, new head coach, new everything. Zach Kitley's back, so the offense should be explosive. But they just lost Tyler Shuck uh, for at least two to three weeks. Um, I, I don't remember if it's a collarbone injury or what he's got, throwing arm injury. 
So it'll be Donovan Smith, who is the prototype quarterback taken over. He's the guy that I think a lot of Red Raiders want behind center because he's tall, fast, good arm. But still, I, I don't I, I would be more comfortable taking the Red Raiders plus three rather than dropping three. So I am going to take Texas Tech. I, I think that they could be spicy at home. Uh, and look, Jones is a weird place to play. It'll be a Saturday afternoon. You know the Red Raider fans are going to be ready to rock. I just, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. But with all that said, I'll say guns up. Texas Tech 2-0 and riding into a date with the NC State Wolfpack next week. Yeah, I'm going the other way on this one. Houston plus three. You know, I know they kind of barely ended up squeaking that one out against the Roadrunners. But I still think they're the better team. Again, I kind of don't get why they're the dog here. Um, Maybe it's, you know, on the road or something like that. But I think they're going to keep this close, if not just win outright. Um, This may be one of the most entertaining games to watch on the entire weekend, though, if you look at some of the stuff that's been happening pregame with the coaches and tortillas and everything else. So going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, But, yeah, I'm going to take Houston plus three here. Yeah, that's another one where – normally I feel like my strategy would be to lean into this weird line. Why is tech favored? What does Vegas know that we don't know? Donovan Smith looked really, really good after Tyler Shuck got hurt um, on Saturday. So you're right, Mitch, the tech fans that I know and that I've talked to are really excited to see him play this week. And they're maybe a little more relieved that it's Smith and not Shuck starting this game against Houston. But man, Houston started slow in San Antonio, but once they got going, you saw why they're the trendy pick to be the G5 playoff contender. Clayton Tune in that offense just looked absolutely scary from the fourth quarter on through the third overtime. I think that travels well. Lubbock's a weird place to play. I'm not saying this is going to be a blowout for Houston by any means, but I do like them to not only cover the three points, and but I want them to win outright. I have them to win outright. I said I wanted them to win outright. I'm not rooting for Houston necessarily, but I have them winning outright. Tech, I think, has the more dynamic players outside of Tank Dell. Clayton Toon and Tank Dell are probably the most explosive duo in this matchup, but on the road where they started slow last week, I like Tech's offense better than I do UTSA's. If it is another case of a slow start, I, then I start to wonder, can, can Houston catch up? If, if Tech starts to get that momentum, they can push that boulder down the hill, then things might start to get really, really fun uh, out, out in Lubbock. So I do like Tech here. I'm excited to watch that game, um, or at least the, the replay of it. it. It should be a very, very entertaining watch nonetheless. Let's go to South Carolina, number 16, Arkansas or I guess let's go to Fayetteville, I should say. Number 16, Arkansas, hosting South Carolina. Saturday, ESPN, 11 a.m. Hogs are eight-and-a-half-point favorites in Garrett. It kind of feels like that's the right number. I could even see it being a little bit higher after South Carolina's offense did not look good against Georgia State. Yeah, no, I think I'm taking them minus the eight-and-a-half. It could be a little bit higher, and I'd still probably take it. Um Look, Arkansas needs to clean up a couple things, right? The pass game wasn't perfect. There were some issues there. Um, they need to be a little bit more consistent in their coverage and their protection uh, on the offensive line. But I think they're the better team. Yeah, the Gamecocks did not look very good. They're going to have some problems. Uh, and I think Arkansas is going to give them some problems on the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah, give me the Razorbacks here. No real issue taking them uh, with the uh, minus eight and a half. 
Guys, we got to start asking the question, is Spencer Rattler good? Because I don't know. I mean, last year at Oklahoma, he obviously had Caleb Williams breathing down his neck, and it was really easy to make the switch when he struggled to the five-star. Man, South Carolina was just heralding him as their savior. I kind of bought into that hype a little bit too, just because we've seen him have good games before, but it's been a while. And if it doesn't show up in Fayetteville this Saturday, I'm really starting to question if it's even worth running him out there the rest of the season for South Carolina, because he's not part of the plan for the future. I don't think he's, he's probably not going to be around after this year. So I don't know. I got to see a lot more from South Carolina. I'm picking Arkansas to cover the eight and a half point spread. I think that environment in Fayetteville, Fayetteville is just going to be a little bit too much. KJ Jefferson, I think is the better quarterback in this game. And I think Arkansas has the better defense. So give me the better quarterback and the better defense. Wow. What a take on Spencer Rattler. I'm not, listen, he's struggled. There's no doubt. He's got arm talent. He's athletic. He did make some great throws in that game, but he also did struggle to consistently move the chains and convert with points. Right. Um, I, I, you got to keep playing him though. I mean, South Carolina, I don't think they have a viable backup. Plus South Carolina is a team that needs to take advantage of the transfer portal to compete or eventually compete at the top of the SEC East by immediately benching a former five-star quarterback who transferred to your program. Like that might be the death nail for Shane Beamer and his transfer portal recruiting efforts. I, I, I don't think that would be a wise decision at all. I will say if they are going to improve and reach any kind of ceiling that, that the media has told them that they, that they can get to, that offensive line, dude, they suck. <laughs> they were not bad. Good. They were Swiss cheese last year. They did not look good again Saturday. Spencer's running for his life. So I, I don't know who you could put back there under those circumstances and feel confident about them moving the chain. So maybe it's not all on Spencer. Yeah, I'm being a little dramatic when I say that. But the point stands that it's been a while since we've seen him play to that potential. You see right. flashes. You're right. And you see him make a big play, but then it's turned around by two or three. Just what the heck was that moment? So he's got the skill and I'm not trying and I'm not trying to say that he's not a talented guy, but mm-hmm. we got to see it, especially going into this sec schedule. If you're looking at South Carolina's sec schedule, this is one you got to circle. If you're going to make it to bowl eligibility, if you're going to make it to the ceilings that yep. some have called it to, it's got to start this week. So I need to see it before I fully buy in on Rattler. I think he's super talented. I just need to see it be consistent. I kind of don't hate the take, though, on Rattler. I mean, the fact of the matter is he's not good under pressure. He just is not good under pressure. That's the reason he got pulled last year when he was playing in that Red River rivalry. He got some pressure up in his face, made some terrible decisions with the ball, and it got them down big early, right? If they have a, a bad offensive line like we're talking about, can we realistically expect him to play well? I don't necessarily think so. He's going to have to change who he is between the ears in order to get better against the pressure. And at this stage of his career, I don't know what else you can do for him. South Carolina will welcome number two Georgia to town next week. They've also got a stretch at Kentucky versus AM versus Missouri. Oh, by the way, before finishing the season at Florida versus Tennessee and at Clemson. So to Trey's point, if it doesn't start this week, 
you may be planning a wintertime vacation sooner than most. I'm also on the Hogs here, minus eight and a half. I think the Hogs are better in the trenches. Clearly, that offensive line uh, is is much better for KJ Jefferson, and I think Arkansas's pass rush could make Spencer Rattler's day very, very long there in Fayetteville. So give me the Hogs in an early conference matchup. Let's go to Pittsburgh, Akershire Stadium. Forever will be Heinz Field in my mind. Number 17, Pitt, hosts number 24, Tennessee. Balls are six-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. Saturday, ABC at 2.30 p.m. Do you guys have a lean here? Because... I spent a lot of time going back. This number is nearly perfect in my mind because no matter which way you think it goes from a victory standpoint, I think you could pull the rope and make the case for the other side just as fervently. I'm going to go with Pitt in this one. They're getting six and a half points at home. We saw the environment last week. Obviously, it's not going to reach the heights that it did for the backyard brawl. This is a nice one-two opening to the schedule for those fans up there in Pittsburgh. This is my personal game of the week, though. I think this is going to be a fantastic football game. Kind of slept on in that 2.30 p.m. ABC time slot, but I'm really excited to see this game. The reason I'm taking Pitt, their defense and uh, their offense especially, are just kind of designed to play close one-possession games. They've got a slow offense. I bemoaned the (laughs) pace of play. In that backyard brawl, it was just enough to put you to sleep at times, but that also is going to keep games close. It's going to be infuriating for Pitt fans when they're the better team. It's going to be really, really nice in situations like this where they might not have the talent advantage. I also love the Pitt secondary. I think this is going to be a big test for Hinton Hooker. Got to take care of the football, which he's done a really, really good job of, but I don't think I don't know that they win. Uh, I don't know if Pitt wins this game. I think Tennessee wins the game, and I think that's a huge step forward for that volunteer program. But I think Pitt covers. I think it's a four-ish point win for Tennessee. Yeah, the Vols for me, this is my absolute stone-cold lock of the week here. Yeah, I feel fantastic about the Vols. Look, their offense looked fantastic week one. Hinton Hooker, I think he's probably second best quarterback in the SEC at this point. He looked like he took the step uh, and he did what he needed to do uh, in the offseason to improve his game. Um, I think they're a lot more of a talented team. And you can call it a rivalry game, but Pitt looked pretty sloppy to me in week one. That You're saying grind it out, slow rolling offense. I just call that inefficient, personally. I, I just don't think that they have the kind of offense that's going to keep up with them. So, I expect Tennessee to come out. Pitt's going to keep it close for a little while, but I think they're going to pull away late, win this by a couple of scores. And, you know, I don't think this is a particularly tough one for Tennessee. I do think it'll be big for their program to get this thing rolling the right direction and give them loads of confidence going into conference play. You can tell which member of this show does not like the three yards and a cloud of dust approach to offense. Uh, I'm on the Vols as well, minus the six and a half. Tennessee's the more explosive team. And while I think that Pitt, because they're such a veteran team, will succeed in the ACC, I don't know that against a high-flying offense like Tennessee that can put up points in the blink of an eye that they're going to be able to hang with them. Keaton Slovis played fairly well and racked up numbers last week for Pitt, 
He did see a very solid Mountaineers pass rush in a rivalry game, so it's tough to gauge exactly how that pit offense is going to play the remainder of the season. Again, a very veteran team. All five starters came back this year. At the same time, Pitt embarrassed Tennessee at home last year. This is a major stepping stone for Josh Heupel and that crew if they're going to prove that Tennessee has turned a corner. And for Hinton Hooker, you know, this could be the the first true milestone in a Dark Horse Heisman campaign. I think he's out to prove that he can not only rack up points against, you know, the the ball states of the world, but that he can also do it against ranked power five opponents. So I, I think Tennessee finds a way to run away 10, 14 points. I wouldn't be shocked if that's where you get your final score. So give me the balls. I really do like what they have on offense. The defense, defense is another story. They look good against ball state. What are they going to look like against, you know, a ground and pound smash it down your throat kind of pit team. That's the question. So if Pitt does cover, I think Trey's right. I think it's because they control the ball. They run it right right up the middle, essentially. That's what they tried to do against West Virginia. They might have more success against Tennessee. Uh, so that's certainly the counterpoint. But I think the, the Vols offense has a fun, really fun week up in Pitt, and they head into their next stop at 2-0. and oh. Number 11, Oklahoma State, 11-point favorites at home against Herm Edwards' squad, the Arizona State Sun Devils. Saturday, ESPN 2 at 6.30 p.m. Trey, if you will introduce us to Mr. Stone Cold, please. Oklahoma State, lock of the week. Lock it up. I'm surprised this line isn't higher, to be quite honest. Oklahoma State only played a half of football with their starters. Everyone that came on Twitter and in all the message boards and it was immediately criticizing Oklahoma State, saying they're not a contender, did not watch this game because, yes, Oklahoma State gave up a massive lead and did not end up covering that spread. Apologies if you were on the wrong side of that, by the way. But they played their backups the entire second half until like three minutes left in the game when Gundy realized, okay, this is uncomfortably close. We need to salt this game away. The Cowboys moved the ball at will in the first half. I think they're going to do the exact same thing against a Sun Devils defense that, guys, when you just look at the Jimmys and the Joes, it looks bleak. I know they dusted Northern Arizona, but this is a completely different ball game on the road. Emory Jones is really Arizona State's only chance. Can he be dynamic enough to keep the uh, the uh, the Sun Devils? I'm sorry, up with the Pokes. I I don't know that he's going to do that. So I don't see any way that Oklahoma State wins this game by fewer than 14 points. Give me the Pokes. Stone Cold Lock of the Week. Spencer Sanders is a bad man, and he looked like a man on the mission in the first half last week. Yeah, keep your starters in Oklahoma State, and you'll cover this one easily. Yeah, pretty easy call. Okie pokes, minus 11. Um, Yeah, Spencer Sanders is absolutely that guy, um, and everyone else can get it. Um, They looked great with their starters in. Let's not talk about the backups anymore. Uh, Arizona State's going to show up with some cool uniforms, but that's about all I can expect out of them. So, um, yeah, give me the Okie Pokes and a good-looking, but maybe not super fun to watch if you're an Arizona State fan. I will say, I feel like Oklahoma State is slept on for their attire as well. The Pokes have some of the best uniform combos in college football. There's a reason why I've got one of their helmets sitting on the shelf behind me. I love the wardrobe that Oklahoma State rolls out on a weekend, wake-out basis. So uh, I've, I've got Oklahoma State winning in that department as well. Guys, let's go from what could be a very exciting, offensively-minded game to 
the biggest question mark for me on this entire slate, it's the Cyhawk battle. Saturday, the Big Ten Network at 3 p.m., Iowa State on the road in Kinnick Stadium to take on America's sweetheart, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Three-and-a-half-point favorites are the Hawkeyes. Guys, Iowa has won the last six Cyhawk trophies and seven of the last ten. I can't understand how they do it because Iowa never has an offense, but that defense just, for whatever reason, seems to carry them. Matt Campbell, it's been a thorn in his side since he arrived. They're in Ames. I think Hunter Deckers was really, really good. The the tall lefty for Iowa State last week. I like what the clones bring back offensively in this matchup. But for me, if Iowa's secondary shows any weakness in covering Xavier Hutchinson, who put up, I think, 130 yards receiving last week, that's how Iowa State wins this game. On the flip side, which I know you guys are about to talk about, how is Iowa scoring the football? They didn't do it against... South Dakota State last week. So three in the hook, that's too many points. I know it's on the road. I know it would say that, you know, Campbell finds a way to to defeat history here. Seven in a row is a lot of rivalry games to win in a row. I just like the percentages on Iowa State. So give me the clones plus three in the hook. I I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but I'm going to back Kurt Ferentz and Spencer Petrus. <laughs> that's Listen, a choice. A gentleman's touchdown isn't going to get it done this week. And that's a field goal and two safeties if you keep your score at home. But for whatever reason, there's just some voodoo on this Cyclones program when they go to Iowa City or when they host the Hawkeyes in Ames. I can't explain it. There's been so many times where Iowa State looked like the clearly better team, especially in the Brock Purdy era. And Iowa just wipes the floor with them every single year. I can't explain it. But I'm going to buy into it. Give me the Hawkeyes somehow, some way, covering that spread. Three and a half points. Yeah, three and a half. They haven't shown that even if they shut out, like shut out the Cyclones, they're going to cover that three and a half. I mean, yeah, if if Iowa State can get out of their end zone, all they've done is three points. So um, I, I'm taking Iowa State here. Uh, because I think they'll be able to kick more than one field goal. Um, and, and look, this is probably going to be the worst game to watch of the week. If you like anything called exciting plays or, you know, I think football, the forward pass, anything like that. I'm just not excited to watch this game, if I'm being completely honest. Um, it, it should be somewhat competitive, but I'm going to take Iowa State plus the three and a half. I will say there is a very real chance that Iowa State just blitzes Iowa this year. <laughs> And I look like a fool, but until I see them do it, I'm just going to believe that Matt Campbell has some sort of curse that he needs to sacrifice a chicken for. Yeah. If, if Iowa state comes up and scores, let's play this game. If Iowa state scores 17 points, does Iowa win? No shot. If if Iowa State scores 17, I don't think Iowa has a chance at winning this football game. How many defensive touchdowns? Offensive production by like 600%. There's no shot. How many defensive touchdowns does Iowa score? Because if you tell me that they (laughs) get a pick six or that they get a punt return for a touchdown or something weird, then I'll take them. But outside of that, I don't know. 17 is a lot of points for your current parents and the boys. Brian Ferentz dreams of 17-point games uh, that, that he concocts. It, Iowa doesn't have a touchdown this season. Um, 
I don't know what else to tell you there. Yeah, if Iowa State comes out and looks sharp offensively at all, the one advantage that Iowa State or Iowa has, I'm sorry, that secondary. If they can control Xavier Hutchinson, they've got a chance. If not, if Hunter Deckers is just getting to throw the ball all over the place, good night, Gracie. This game might be over by the half. So it's a rivalry game. Things get weird. You're right, Trey. Six in a row. It's it's just it's it's impossible. It's like at the craps table. You you get hot. You get hot. There's there's no arguing against it. So maybe Iowa continues that streak. They certainly dominate the series as of late. But whew, um, that this game's going to be weird to break down next week. I think we're just going to be talking about something funky that resulted in you know X result, whatever we get. So how about a one point safety in there somewhere? Well, that was almost the name of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> last last game elsewhere that we'll run around before we get to some quick hitters. Louisville Garrett's Louisville Cardinals, or at least his ex Cardinals, they go to the bounce house at UCF on a Friday night. Knights are six and a half point favorites. ESPN two is where you can find this game at six thirty p.m. Uh, Louisville was the stinker of the week last week after losing to the Cuse thirty-one to seven on the road. I do think they're going to play better this week, but the bounce house, that offense for UCF, it's going to be way too much for Scott Satterfield to counter. I think we're talking about Scott Satterfield potentially looking for some real estate openings elsewhere in the country after they lose to UCF. Give me the Knights minus the six and a half. Yeah, give me uh, UCF as my stone cold lock of the week. Scott Satterfield and San Marcos has a nice ring to it. So we'll, uh, we'll see if he can find a home there in central Texas. Yeah. You guys ever make a decision and you just want to run away from it as fast as you possibly can. Look, we all have an ex that we regret dating. Um, Cardinals are dead to me. They're going to get boat raised. This is not going to be close. Um, they, they just looked bad. Mitch, you said that you think they're going to play better. And my question there is why? Well, they played. Why do you think they're going to play better? Because they, they can't play worse. Played, yeah, they literally <laughs> could not play worse. They played so poorly last week. I, you gotta, you gotta rebound, right? At least yeah. that's what I'm thinking. No, give me the bounce house. They're not going to rebound. They're going to find a way to not put up any points. Yeah, I'll, I'll take UCF here. No problem. Gosh. Man, if you've been with us since the beginning, I, Garrett was so in love with Louisville during the offseason. Like they could still was, hit the record that Garrett predicted. Garrett predicted them to go eleven and one. They could still do that. But I'll tell you what, Scott Satterfield's going to get an extension if he goes eleven and one after that start. Um, we all say stupid things when we make bad decisions, so we'll, <laughs> we'll just move on from that one. I'm disassociating. I couldn't disavow them harder. Strike it. Strike it from the record. Uh, all three of us are on UCF minus six in the hook. Uh, those are our featured games of the week. We've got quick hitters and the ledger, of course, to finish this out. Garrett, I'll let you start here. Several games on the board that we can mention. It's it's really a pretty fun week around college football. Not necessarily the the headliners that we had a week ago, but out of these quick hitters that we have, where do you want to start? Uh, well, I'm going to start with Kansas State. They're playing Mizzou. This is obviously a team that I'm very high on right now, and I will not be disassociating with anytime soon. Uh, Deuce Vaughn looked fantastic in their game last week. Not a whole lot of passing, but I don't think they needed to beat Mizzou. I'm taking Kansas State minus eight. The other one that I'm really excited about is actually Old Dominion at ECU. 
Um, kind of interested in that game just because it was a couple of teams that both played a little bit of an almost spoiler in ECU's case and then spoiler for Old Dominion. Yeah. Um, ECU's catching, what is it, or Old Dominion's catching 12, 12 and a half, and a half. here. Uh, I'm still going to pick ECU to win this one. I think that it was a bit of a letdown spot, but I think they'll be right back on it uh, and look real good for their uh, first dub of the season. Yeah, I'm with you on both of those spreads. Um, really excited to see Kansas State take it to a former rival. I think that game's not going to be close this weekend. Adrian Martinez does need to step it up a little bit in the passing game, though. He I does. think he only threw three yards passing. What yeah, 53 yards. Uh, he'll need to throw a few more. I think he will. Um, but Deuce Vaughn could also run for 250 in that game. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, Virginia and Illinois. I mean, you know, tale of two weeks for Illinois look unbeatable against Wyoming. Maybe not unbeatable, but they look really, really good against Wyoming. That's a strong term. (laughs) They look very good. They looked very good against Wyoming and then just kind of pooped the bed a little bit against Indiana in a big conference game. So they host Virginia, Tony Elliott. That offense looked really good last week. You know, we're still waiting to see the defense against a, a legit team. Illinois is favored by four and a half. I'm actually going to take Virginia as an underdog to cover that spread. I'm also really interested to see um, Washington State travel halfway across the country to play Wisconsin. Don't know exactly what happened against in that Idaho game uh, last week for Wazoo. It was a seven-point win against the Vandals, but I don't know. I could see them maybe pulling something out, maybe not winning the game, but keeping it close, keeping it interesting, giving you something fun to watch. Wisconsin, because they want to run the football, and I do not believe in Graham Mertz as an elite quarterback, I just think that Wazoo figures some things out offensively. Yeah, scoring 17 at home against Idaho, like hit the reset button, unplug the controller, reboot the system. That was not the Cam Ward that we were all promised in the offseason. I think Wazoo figures some things out offensively. They're certainly not going to win this game, I don't believe, but 17 for a Wisconsin team that does not have the better quarterback, I, I think is a lot, even though they're at Camp Randall. You guys mentioned Mizzou at Kansas State. Deuce Vaughn could have a Heisman moment against just a, a woeful Missouri run defense. And plus, Missouri struggled to throw the football. Their best offensive production last week in their opener was giving Luther Burden, their five-star wide receiver, snaps out of the Wildcat. That was how they looked explosive. Brady Cook was throwing the ball all over the lot, missing wide-open receivers. He didn't look comfortable, and that was at home against a group of five teams. So I, I just can't, even though Adrian Martinez clearly did not do jack squat throwing the football, Kansas State might only have to throw this five to ten times to win this game. So I, I'm with you on the Wildcats. How about Stanford? Only giving up nine at home against number 10 USC. That that line seems suspiciously low. And look, I know Stanford has a track record of success against USC. They beat the Trojans last year. Uh, so where where do we net out here on, on USC-Stanford? That just still seems very low to me for a USC team that that clearly is going to put up points. Will they play defense? Maybe not, but their offense seems like a sure thing. Yeah, I did the Stanford preview. I'm not optimistic about them. I'll take USC minus nine. This doesn't seem very difficult for me. 
This would be a Clay Helton special, but Clay Helton is no longer the coach, so I'll take USC as well. <laughs> um, debuting in the top 10 this week, so we'll see how uh-huh. USC lives up to that hype. I, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. Look, Rice Rice was outmatched going to the Coliseum. Um, USC almost put up as many points as they had fans in the stands. So uh, we'll see how they react here in week two. Yes, that is a shot at the LA market. Folks, what are we doing? USC and UCLA, just a pathetic attendance at both those. That's not Big Ten ready. No, they're, oh my goodness. No, they're not. Uh, UTSA, two point favorite on the road against Army. Look, UTSA, this might be the biggest letdown spot south of App State losing their rivalry game. They had that game against Houston. They let the Cougars come back in. They lose in triple overtime. The dome was rocking. I know that it does not feel good if you're a roadrunner being 0-1. Um, you've got Army, and then I believe they play Texas next week as well. So UTSA staring down the barrel of an 0-3 start if they don't beat the Black Knights. Where do you guys pick this game at? Just a two-point spread for UTSA. I wouldn't touch this line with a 10-foot pole <laughs> um, if I was betting actual money, but I lean the Roadrunners. I think that they... It's always tough when you have an option team involved with picking a spread because they could just take the air out of the ball if they get up by a couple scores, but I really liked what I saw with Frank Harris and that new-look offense, even without Sincere McCormick last week, so... Give me the Roadrunners, maybe picking a little bit with my heart here instead of my head. Yeah, I think UTSA wins it almost because they have to. Give me the Roadrunners. I've got the the Roadrunners as well. I think it's it's a tough game defensively, uh, and all of a sudden Army's decided to throw the football as well, so you've got to worry about that. But um, I, I do like the, the skill talent, the, the physicality that UTSA has. Uh, so give me the Roadrunners as well. You guys picked that UVA-Illinois game. We are all on Virginia there. Uh, Garrett, Virginia, your lucky dog of the week. Yeah, I just thought that offense looked really good. I, I don't have a whole lot of intel here necessarily. I just think that Virginia's offense looked good enough to uh, put up points on Illinois, and I don't think they can catch up. Yeah, Wazoo, my lucky dog of the week, um, just to to complete the slate there. Mississippi State going on the road to Arizona, who looked very good against San Diego State a week ago. A big upset outright, at least if you looked at the spread. Mike Leach and the Pirates, 10.5-point favorites going out to the desert. Trey, I'll start with you. This this feels like a trap game for Mississippi State, does it not? It really does, especially with the conference slate looming. I think Mississippi State wins the game, but leech plus the desert plus the late kick just equals weird to me if we're going to make this into a math problem (laughs) so i'm gonna take arizona plus 10 and a half maybe a little bit of an overhype from last week but give me the wildcats at home yeah it's going to be a pirate's life for me um i'm going with leech on this one minus 10 and a half i think they're going to score plenty of points and arizona had a good showing maybe comes out a little bit flatter this week Jed Fish had all offseason to prepare for that opener against San Diego State. He only gets one week to prepare for the air raid offense, which as we learned last week with Pat Narduzzi, some people are not aware of what the air raid is, at least allegedly when they're mic'd up on national television. I think Mississippi State, they're an SEC dark horse for a reason. They've got the bodies. They've got the Jimmies and the Joes. 
uh, Tetro McMillan, maybe the most explosive player on the field, the five-star who flipped from Oregon over to Arizona, the highest-rated recruit ever to commit to the Arizona Wildcats. He had a good week one against San Diego State, but the Aztecs Mississippi State is not. So give me the Pirate minus 10.5 on the road. Last game we've got here, and this is purely for my entertainment, Kansas. On the road in Morgantown, West Virginia, guys, the Mountaineers, they are already kicking Neil Brown to the curb. They've got Jimbo coming, apparently. He's coming home to coach the Mountaineers. Wait. He's giving me a weird look. Just go go over to Twitter. That's all over Twitter. Twitter uh, is an amazing place. <laughs> and this, well, it was a 247 article that uh, took a Jimbo quote about him loving West Virginia and not ruling out the possibility of eventually coaching there. Um, he said, never say never. but. Twitter is spinning that as if Jimbo is getting ready to leave for Morgantown. You'll um, probably so hear it on Feinbaum for a couple months too, so, you know. You probably will. Uh, back to the line, though, the Neil Brown, West Virginia Mountaineers, 13-point favorites at home. Guys, I've got a sneaky suspicion about Kansas. Lance Leipold's coming off an extension. The Jayhawks had an offense. Listen, I don't really have a reason to take the Jayhawks, but rock chalk, baby. Let's go cover this 13-point spread. I don't think they win this game, but let's keep it close. Let's get weird in Morgantown. Listen, Kansas played Tennessee Tech, and they looked really, really good on offense, and they looked competent in other facets of the game. West Virginia really impressed me against Pitt. I wrote Kansas plus 13 on this dock, but I'm going to play party pooper here and say... (laughs) The Mountaineers cover, they probably, it might not be an easy cover, but uh, I I think they find a way to cover late. There's already been enough egg on my face so far in this early season. I'm going to attempt to get a hot take right. Give me Kansas outright. Their offense looked really, really good. Their offense looked really, really good. They got a lot of continuity there. I like that. West Virginia looked okay. I didn't think they looked particularly great against Pitt. Again, I thought Pitt looked kind of sloppy. So, um, yeah, give me Kansas out right here. 108-25, Mitch. Clip that. That's, that's <laughs> right. That we, we'll, we'll see. Take heart, Tennessee Tech fans. Garrett believes that Kansas has a legitimate offense, so your defensive woes are actually not that bad. Guys, let's wrap this up with our ledger picks. Ironically, we all went two and two against each other last week. If you are new to the show, did not catch that segment last week, we'll end off every weekly preview show with this. Essentially, each member of the show gets to bet a game against the other person. So for instance, this week against Trey, I am giving him Nebraska. I'm going to take Georgia Southern plus 24 on the road. Look, Nebraska didn't even cover that number against FCS North Dakota. Nebraska refuses to run the football. Uh, So I'm just not seeing a way that they pull away and put this game on ice comfortably. I don't necessarily believe in Georgia Southern this year uh, under Clay Helton, but I do think that Nebraska just, they can't ever have nice things. And covering a spread against a team that you absolutely should Right now would be a luxury for the Cornhuskers. So, sorry, Big Red Nation. I'm going the other way. I'm taking Georgia Southern plus the 24. So, Trey will have to back the Cornhuskers in this week. For me, I really like corn. That's all I got. There you go. Uh, Against Garrett, I'm going to take Kansas plus the 13. So, I know Garrett just proclaimed that Kansas is going to win outright. He's going to have to wear the collar of betting against or betting with West Virginia. 
Garrett, you've got two games that we've already talked about as well. Who are you taking against Trey? Who are you taking against myself? Well, against Trey, I'm giving you the game of the week, at least according to every single media outlet that's out there. Uh, But you get to back the Longhorns here. I'm taking Bama minus 20 against you. Uh, And against Mitch, uh, you are going to get Spencer Rattler and that maybe not so good offense. Uh, I'm taking Arkansas minus eight and a half against you. Yeah, that's that's tough. I don't I don't really see how South Carolina or Texas covers that spread, but uh, it is what it is. So maybe Garrett going two and zero with his picks. Trey, you're up. <laughs> All right, I'll bring in two new games we haven't talked about yet. Mitch, against you, I'm going to take Wake Forest getting uh, laying thirteen points at Vanderbilt. Really interesting non conference matchup, but just found out today Sam Hartman should be back for the Demon Deacons. Uh- Amazing news for that program. It really reinvigorates them as a program. So I'll take them covering the two touchdown spread at Vandy. Quelling that hype train just a little bit for the Commodores. And then Garrett, I'm going to take Memphis uh, laying six and a half at Navy. Now, Memphis did not look great against Mississippi State, but Navy looked even worse against the Delaware Blue Hens. So salute the troops, Garrett. You get to uh, back the midshipmen. I will absolutely salute the troops and probably not watch that game. I think it was the Sickos Committee, which shout out to them. We interact with them daily over on Twitter. I believe they said that the United States feels the best military teams in the world unless they play a blue-colored chicken. Coastal beat Army. Delaware beat Navy. Yeah, I mean, Navy's, Navy's in a tough spot. I... I don't even see, I I truly don't understand why it's under a touchdown line right now. I think Navy might lose every single game this season by double digits um, outside of Delaware, of course. So anyway, a very, very interesting matchup there um, in Annapolis. This pick individually makes me want to institute a veto rule for this just because I don't like taking Navy here, but that's okay. We can talk about that maybe another time. <laughs> it's it's the downside of this game for sure. You live by the sword, uh, you die by the sword. I don't like it. All right, guys, so just, just to recap, I'm giving Trey Nebraska against Georgia Southern. I'm giving Garrett West Virginia against Kansas. Garrett taking Bama against Texas. He's giving me South Carolina against Arkansas. Trey's giving me Vanderbilt against Wake Forest, and he's giving Garrett Navy against memphis if you would like to play along please dm us three tech pod on instagram and or twitter give us your favorite line of the week let us know what you think your upset would be and who your stone cold lock of the week is as well for trey reeves and garrett turney that's going to do it for us in the week to preview i'm mitch mason until next time so long everybody (laughs) 